trade efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. In episode 36, Todd Mao, president of Roush Clean Tech, joins us where we talk about what the company learned from their experience with propane and natural gas, Roush's role as an integrator, why application and duty cycle matter when selecting the powertrain. We talk about the need to focus on the entire ecosystem when it comes to electrification and the importance of having a trusted partner that separates facts from fiction when it comes to new technology. Today we have joining me Todd Mao. He's president at Roush Cleantech. Really excited to talk to, to you, Todd, and uh, thanks for joining me today. Mike, it's my pleasure. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, great to be here with you. Before we dig in, I always ask my guests how we met and became friends, uh, given that the title of these podcasts is Freight Efficiency with Maxby's Mike Growth and Friends. So I guess you, you meet that criteria, Todd. But again, uh, how, did we, how did we come about uh, meeting? And I think it's fairly recently, but um, what do you recall? Yeah, Mike, it's nice to be in that circle of trust with you. Uh, yeah, I, uh, it was through Natalia Spolnik, who's a recent hire here at Roush on our government affairs side, that uh, she knew you through her involvement in the electrification coalition in Denver Clean Cities and was definitely in your fan club and recommended that we uh, we connect. So uh, glad she did that. It's been uh, fun getting to know you. Yeah, and Roush really brought, uh, you know, a great truck and your collaboration with the race team to run on less electric. So uh, we'll get into that in in a little bit um, because, man, what an interesting time we're in. And, you know, in that particular segment of, of box trucks, we, we've been through a lot of alternatives, and we'll see if now electrification is, is what what might scale. But um, I've known Roush for a long time, like like I mentioned, and, and we worked with some of your teammates there on different things over my career. But um, tell us about the company um, and its history, and, um, and this clean tech group versus maybe the engineering services side of Roush. And just walk us through all that, because I think people, people and Jack, I mean, people are somewhat familiar, but um, I think we jump at least I've always jumped quickly and not really understand the, the enterprise in total. Yeah, no, it's a great question. It, it, and sometimes we joke that it's the best kept secret, the capability that the overall Roush has. But, uh, you know, Jack, um, and still uh, actively involved in business day to day, uh, found this place back in 1976. And really, you know, being a teacher uh, and an engineer, it was the premise of, of helping people solve complex problems. And that's kind of the DNA of what started the company back in 1976 and it's proliferated at a a big scale. Um, Here now we are heading into 2022, but uh, you know, the company is, is really, it's still privately held Jack's majority owner, uh, primarily based here in Michigan, got a racing operation, obviously that everybody knows uh, down in North Carolina, Uh, but, but Roush uh, enterprises holding company and then the, the different operating divisions and they nest together really nicely, Mike, uh, Roush Industries really is the technical arm that gives our world order, and that's really the group that works with all the major OEMs on a lot of complex issues um, related to advanced mobility, which we're talking about today. So uh, Ford and GM and Stellantis and a lot of the import uh, automakers have come to Roush because outside of those automakers, we've got such a capability to help develop product. Uh, and some of those folks use all of the capability we have, and some just tap into certain components of it. And so, um, you know, over the last almost five decades, to credit to Jack and Evan, our CEO, is that they've really built a, a product development capability second to none. And, um, you know, from our perspective here at Cleantech, that's perfect, right? Because uh, the history has been Roush is really engineers for hire. So typically people wouldn't see the brand on the street because 
the folks at Ford or GM or somebody else would hire us to solve a problem for them. And so really the ideation behind the products group, which mine is Roush Cleantech, and then there's Roush Performance, which does the hot rod Mustangs and F-150s. But the purpose behind the products companies is to really leverage that core of product development capability and then showcase the brand with that, right? And so um, it's been fun for us here at Cleantech the last 10 years. Um, it, I think, you know, obviously we, we have the racing tie-in. We've had a lot of success with Jack there. Um, but I, I think that product development capability and leverage the experience the enterprise has with advanced uh, uh, powertrains. Uh, obviously, we love ICE engines, and that's near and dear to Jack's heart and our heart and will always will be. But at the, ed- the advent of hydrogen and natural gas and propane and battery electric, uh, we've been doing that for, for three-plus decades for a lot of folks. So this is not new territory to us. It's just a matter of us putting our brand on it and go kind of promoting the capabilities the company has. Yeah, so I'm going to uh, try to avoid. I'm a Ford guy, and I'm a, a racing <laughs> nut, a bit of mostly IndyCar, um, but I was at the first Formula One electric uh, electric Formula One race in Miami, and, um, man, how how uh, exciting it was to, to be able to talk to your neighbor. Um, it was different. You know, there wasn't that roar of the engine, but um, so, we'll, but we'll stay away from the Mustangs and, and F-150s and racing as much as possible here because we don't have a, a ton of time. But um, so walk us through then the clean tech and the products and, and really that, um, you know, leading us into, uh, you know, Roush's work on alternatives and kind of, uh, you know, as you go through that, maybe help us with, you know, what have you as an organization learned as you've looked at propane and natural gas and developed products and have products today, but what have you learned about that um, over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, um, you know, we started uh, CleanTech back kind of the actual formation of this division was 2010, but even before that we incubated in another division uh, working with the propane industry on how to bring uh, propane to on-road transportation. And so, you know, the technical part, uh, Mike, I hate to say it's easy. I'll probably upset all my engineers here, but um, obviously the technology has got to be good. And whether that's propane or natural gas or hydrogen or a, a pure battery electric, the technology has to be robust and safe uh, and integrated well. But I think the thing we've learned is that there are a lot of companies out there that say they can do that. But beyond just the technology itself, it's how everything else kind of nests in. And we kind of call it the foundation. And so uh, we, what we learned was the technology can be good, but if you don't have uh, someone helping fleets go figure out fueling infrastructure or second life of batteries or what's the total cost ownership calculator look like or how do I apply for ANSI subsidies and incentives or how do I help a customer when their vehicle's down? How do I train technicians? How do I train first responders? So that, you know, I think it's used a lot, the term ecosystem, but that's really the lesson we've learned is that we're really good engineers and can develop great products. But if you don't wrap it around with all those other offerings and services to help a fleet become comfortable in that transition, then you'll see a bunch of pocket vetoes along the way, right? And so, you know, I I see a lot of our brethren going right to the top of the house, uh, head of sustainability or CEO or a board and say, you got to do this, right? And Ultimately, I think a lot of companies understand why that makes sense to do it. But if, if you don't spend the time with the the shops, the mechanics, the technicians, the drivers, the first responders, boy, it, it becomes pretty arduous. Even if you get technology launched, they sometimes find ways to uh, kind of revert back to what they know, which is, is gasoline and diesel. So 
I think without all the tools to help ease that transition, I think that's what makes it really bumpy for fleets and causes issues and causes it easier just to kind of go back to what you know. Yeah, and I think that's that's sort of, you know, think about the the sort of the lessons learned that we've all had around this quote-unquote alternative fuels, right? So we've had uh, propane that you've been a real leader in, but also there's natural gas, compressed and liquefied. There's been some starts and stops and different solutions. Do you think as now the battery electric um, opportunity is coming, I think finally, not finally, but it's really we're understanding how significant that infrastructure is and some of these other pieces. And the the great news is, and sometimes it's a challenge, but the great news is that in commercial vehicles, these are tools, and they're going to buy these vehicles with a total cost of ownership mindset, and there's very little emotion in buying trucks. And so that that is a great asset. Of course, it becomes a little bit of a liability when we try to figure out how we move forward into some of these technologies. It'll cost a little more in the short term, or maybe a lot more in the short term, but, you know, the urgency around sustainability and climate, you know, is is driving, continues to drive a lot of this, and has, but seems to be in a little more urgency right now. Yeah, I would agree. It, it it's I don't think it's an if, it's a when, and I know obviously there's a lot of predictions on how quickly this transformation is going to happen. Obviously, the traditional OEMs are making some big bets, right, which, you know, again, I think they got to be out ahead of the curve. But, you know, you think about battery electric, and I, I think um, the grid and, and the utilities, there's a lot of work there, especially when you talk to a fleet and say, great, I'd like to buy 10 battery electric box trucks, and you go talk to the utility, and they say, boy, it may take us 15 to 18 months to have infrastructure and to support that. So, I, again, I think it's just making sure you have the, the people to make sure you're educating these fleets on all the boxes they've got to check to make sure that you, you've got a successful deployment. That's not easy, right? I mean, it's in uh, that education. Um, sometimes those are uncomfortable discussions because everybody just wants to go sell something. But I think our approach really from the technical side, um, and I think that's why we've gained a lot of favor with propane, is because there there have been a lot of times where we've said, this may not be right for you. Uh, I'd rather have the team walk away from a sale today to create a, a longstanding relationship with a customer uh, for decades. And that's kind of been our approach. And so I think you got to talk about the, the dirty laundry along the way because there's, there's a lot of it. There's going to be speed bumps. But I think, you know, the education and things that you guys do as an organization um, to help uh, bring light to those challenges and bring the right resources to it. Uh, Roush is one of those solutions to it, but there's a lot of their companies that need to, to dig in and, and are helping. We just probably need to uh, expedite that process. If we yeah, want. no, you you, you you just you just mentioned what um, we at Naxby talk about every day in conversations, and that is the right technology and the right application. Um, you know, I go back to, I think it was President Obama, but, you know, he really talked about a polyfuel future, and, oh, boy, do we sure have it. Right. I mean, I look at it and I go, okay. well, this part of trucking will go electric. This part of trucking uh, in the in the you know interim will will maybe do propane and this one will be natural gas. And this, but hydrogen's coming. I mean, yeah, I I I, uh, I totally see that. But um, so one thing I want to go back to on the clean tech business that you do, and that is that you typically modify a truck uh, with the alternatives. So um, you. You know, you receive, um, I think, mostly new trucks, right? And, um, you know, and, and in the propane business, uh, you know, modify those trucks given approval from Ford and maybe some other OEMs. Um, and that, that, that kind of gives you a 
a bit of a – first of all, do I have that right, Todd? And if so, that kind of gives you a bit of a front-row seat to all this because that's a pretty quick and straightforward way to have an offering other than, you know, developing the whole truck um, as an OEM. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that our role is uh, is an integrator, if you will. I mean, we're, that's really our strength, and I, I think that in the case of our commercial truck offerings on Ford platforms, Ford builds a great truck. They've got market leadership there, so for us to – integrate our technology into what's already the best of the best just gets the product to market that much faster. No point in recreating the wheel that Ford has spent 118 years perfecting, right? So, uh, and I think <laughs> that that trusted that trusted relationship we have with Ford is a is a modifier of the software so that that vehicle runs efficiently on the the new technology, the new fuel like propane. Is it gives us an advantage because it, it builds confidence with the fleets, right? They see that Ford has a program to allow companies like Roush to go in and modify the the truck to run on something cleaner and more efficient uh, without impacting warranty, uh, and that's a, a nice comfort uh, blanket for the fleet as they make this transition into unknown. So it does give us an advantage. You know, we've we've had a lot of discussions about how do you ground up something, and ultimately there's so much money that's already gone into that from the traditional OEMs that do a great job that I think we're the, uh, we're the ninjas, if you will, that will come in and, and tra- change that powertrain to, to what the fleet needs based on how that asset's being used. So uh, you pick the right energy source, the right fuel based on what the, what the vocation is. So I think that's really where we fit in. I mean, I, I think too, you know, we talk about commercial trucks and I know that's what we're talking about here, but we've built uh, quite a following on the school bus side, right? I mean, I think people think about, safety, uh, especially when you talk about kids, but our propane technologies, you know, uh, into almost 30,000 Bluebird school buses uh, in every state in the nation and province in Canada. And we're transporting a, a, almost a million kids a day on our technology. So I, I think, again, it's that um, comfort blanket that uh, the fleet see yeah. that, that's already been done, that foundation's been built, and it makes them easier uh, and more willing to make that transition. Yeah, I remember a number of years ago a uh, a new truck, delivery truck, that was bring, being brought to market and, um, you know, really exciting to, to get field tests on it and get it into work, and they couldn't keep the mirrors on. You know, I mean, something that simple where, you know, um, um, so so I, I get what, so let, let's now talk about electric, I mean, battery electric vehicles, and you know, when we um, went out to find run-on-less electric participants, um, I got to tell you, I was, I, I'm not so sure I knew about Roush's early work on electric trucks that ended up, you know, putting a, um, I think an F-50 um, uh, electric truck in the run, so, um, uh, but really exciting to have that box truck in, in run on less electric. So tell, tell us about um, how that program's come about, where you're at, and I think there's probably, as I understand, a, a, some updates coming in the future, but um, walk us through Roush's electric truck past and plans. Yeah, no, that's a great question because we sometimes, I, I think, are seen as the, the propane guys and gals or the internal combustion engine guys and gals, but I think it, it goes back to that capability that Bigger Roush has built the last five decades. Um, we have been involved even since the late 90s on electrification with a couple major OEMs. And so, obviously, you know, the cleantech experience with fleets where they love propane, but obviously in some cases like California, they're being pushed to it's got to be electric or hydrogen. There's in, uh, what do you guys have to offer there? So our ability to go back and leverage that experience that we have as a company and that product development capability 
you know, in late 17, we saw, we said, look, it, it, it's time for us now to put um, our brand on an electric truck and bring it to the market and showcase to people we're coming with. And so that was really then unveiled at uh, uh, the Act Show in Long Beach in 18. And so we, we studied it a lot. We knew that um, the market for uh, lighter duty was already going to be uh, well served from traditional OEMs. And so we looked at the complex market of kind of class five, six, seven is a great starting spot for us. And so really we, we started class six non-CDL because we had a lot of great input from people like Penske. So that's a great truck as well as many other fleets. So really it, it's uh, starting with a class six truck, um, but our uh, control system and the hardware is adaptable kind of up and down the GVW chain. But uh, class six is a great spot. We know there's a, a huge market for it from a lot of fleets. So uh, really, the last couple of years has just been developing the control system, developing the integration, the relationships with all the key suppliers that are in play, because we don't make a lot of the parts. Again, it's integrating the axles and the batteries and using our software to make it run efficiently. So uh, that's really been the last couple of years, a little COVID hiccup in between, and uh, we're already working on generation two of, of that truck uh, and that technology that will be applied to, to Ford's F-650. Uh, with an anticipation of going to market kind of uh, late in 23 with that. Give us some of your thoughts on comparing, you know, diesel, propane maybe, and electric, battery electric, in this sort of class 5-6 range. What are what are the big uh, – compare and contrast those those alternatives, and where do you think, um, you know, each each might offer enough advantages to win and then scale and, and where, where not so much? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think, um, boy, I'll tell you, as, as much as I love diesel engine, uh, is the regulations continue to tighten. I think in heavy start-stop, heavy idle uh, applications like Class 5, 6, 7, diesel's going to have a tough time surviving, you know, as we get uh, – I, I think it'll obviously long long uh, life ahead in Class 8 still. Um, but I, I think that's really where we see uh, propane and EV uh, playing a significant role there. I mean – I think the challenge, though, Mike, is that, um, you know, fleets will say, hey, I need 250 miles of range, and I want it to be EV. And I'm like, okay, well, how much payload do you need? And they're like, well, we need payload of a traditional truck. I'm like, well, those two don't mix, right, because the cost of that truck is going to be way too high, and if we pack that many batteries on, it's packing your payload. So now you almost got to buy two trucks to do the same job. So I think it's that powertrain matching based on how it's being used, and I, I think that's the beauty of where we are as a company is that established with propane. So if somebody says I need range or payload, uh, probably propane is a better choice. If I'm less than 100 miles of range and I can compromise some payload uh, and I've got access to incentives uh, to help me offset incremental cost of EV, then maybe a, a EV is the right solution. So I, I think uh, both are going to be, uh, uh, especially as we get further in the decade, I think it'll be a nice mix between the two. Um, but again, I, I think the trade-off really in, in the range piece, range and cost and usability of that asset right now is, is going to drive people to have to make a decision where maybe uh, electric is not the right fit. But even with that, right, I mean, I, I think the concern around um, what it is today to, to run one or two trucks is a test. How do you start to plan for five years down the road when you may have 100 trucks at that depot? Much easier for propane. I can come put a thousand gallon tank in to support two or three trucks, and as that grows, we want to update that to a you know eighteen thousand gallon tank to get a tanker load in there. 
easily done for propane. For EV, we got to think about that, right? It's it's sizing with the utility. I mean, is there a V to G component? Um, do these have to be DC fast charge or they can be level two based on how these trucks are being used? So I, I think the EV thing brings a lot more complexity, uh, but but that's okay. We'll get it sorted out like we've done on propane over the last decade. Yeah, devil's really in the details, and that's going to be the key. I think, you know, payload is such a fascinating thing for, for, for us as an industry. We, you know, many, you know, we cube out, gross out. What, what are you? It's sort of like, you know, you know, are you Auburn or Alabama? Are you I State or Michigan? I mean, there's like it's like it's like one or the other, and and that's real. I mean, you know, we we were recently talking to some beverage companies that wanted to procure, um, you know, non CDL box beverage electric trucks. It just doesn't match. It doesn't match, right? I mean, you can't put heavy payload um, with enough batteries and for fairly short distances. Um, so you know this payload piece, uh, but but for you know companies that that cube out, um, even in the smaller trucks, let alone the, the class eight tractor trailers, then uh, that that becomes moot. They don't mind more battery if they can afford it and 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 find space for it, um, because really you need you need space for propane tanks as well as you need a lot of space for some of these propane tanks to get that range, don't you? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, though, in, in the case of what we've done propane is that it's liquid, it's pourable, it's low pressure. So typically, our propane tanks are taken the same spot as the gasoline tank we remove. So it's not as um, impactful uh, on, on the packaging of the truck or weight even, right? Again, I can give on a Class 6 truck uh, 350 miles of range, and the weight impact is maybe a couple hundred pounds. Right, so it's not thousands of pounds like it may be uh, on an electric truck packing that many batteries on board. So, uh, but I, I think you you you're, you hit the right spot. It's it's that education. The devil's in the details, and we see there are a lot of. I mean, obviously the last 18 months, a lot of specs that have said, "Hey, I've got a great technology," and they really just want to go sell something. Right. Uh, maybe not necessarily interested in the long-term health of the industry. Our approach is a little bit different, right? We'd rather. It's a marathon, not a sprint, and our goal is not just to sell one today. It's to kind of create something sustainable for everybody, us included, and the fleet and the, uh, all the parts such as the utilities. And so that, that takes a lot more heavy lifting, I think, uh, yep, in, yep. in resource investment to, to make sure we're doing things the right way. Yeah, and another way to say that is to help your customers be successful and not try to put a square peg in a round hole just to get some business. I think that's, that's what I, I think 10 years from now when we look back, at how these different alternatives are scaled, I think we'll look at some huge failures and some huge successes because, because um, you know, companies, whether it's the fleets buying it or the truck builders or component manufacturers, folks like yourself, where, where they followed the right technology for the right duty cycle, that's where the success really happened and um, really helped the industry figure this out. Um, you know, Todd, we're kind of running out of time. I, uh, one last question for you. Um, you know, trucking. I've been my whole career has been in trucking and engineer and, and you know and, and manufacturing and other things. And you know, th- this industry can handle a lot. You know, recently with COVID and supply chain issues, we can handle a lot. But it sure feels like we've got a lot of technologies hitting us from these fuels. We got autonomy, connectivity, uh, you know, driver challenges, on and on and on. Um, you think it's? I mean, is this too much? Or maybe the other side of that question, you know, from your chair, what do you think we all need to do to, to, uh, to figure out this technology and, and to make it, to make it successful and to, to better freight efficiency? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. I, I don't know that I have all the answers to that, but I, I do think the pace of change, what's what's taken 150 years to get us to this spot is going to happen in the next 10 to 15, right? But I think the pace of change is going to be so significant. But I think it, it's the it's the understanding the end goal and the challenges of that fleet, right? I mean, we hear a lot about autonomy, but that doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. Maybe it's features of ADAS to make that more safe, uh, but not full autonomy. So I, I think it's... Um, I think the pace of change has to happen. I think uh, the amount of technologies and fuels coming at fleets uh, has to happen because I, I think there's a filtering process that will occur. Uh, it's natural. And um, I, I think, to be honest with you, it's trusted partners and brands like yours and ours that can help kind of separate fact and fiction to say, hey, look, fleet, this makes sense for you today, and you should be thinking about this three or four or five years down the road uh, as the technology matures. Um, and so I, I think that's the that's going to be the challenge is that uh, regulators want something to happen maybe faster than is 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 feasible, or is maybe even safe. And so I think it's just up to us to to help fleets uh, pump the brakes <laughs> when when applicable, and just adapt technologies that make the most sense at that given time. I don't think taking yeah. uh, eating the whole eating the whole pie once will create a problem for a fleet, and I think we'll create so many concerns and cause them to want to revert back to what they know, which is not what uh, anybody wants. Yeah, so technology and innovation with a good dose of, what, pragmatism? Common, common sense. <laughs> common sense. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah. but openness, openness, too. I mean, there's, you know, there's uh, operational changes that can be had to take advantage of these technologies by fleets and end users, you know, but you can't, you can't expect the, the whole goods movement, you know, to change, to, to adapt. So, um, hey, Todd, great talking to you. Wonderful insights. Um, thanks for being involved in Run On Less Electric, and um, I appreciate you being on uh, this discussion, and uh, thanks for joining me. Mike, it's an honor. Thank you very much. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.